Hosea this morning, and our readings come from that book, beginning in chapter 1. The readings are in your bulletin and up on the screen. Listen to the words of Scripture. Listen with our ears and also our hearts. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So Hosea married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. And then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land mourns and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. But let no man bring a charge. Let no man accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests, because you have ignored the law of your God. I also will ignore your children. In chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come 
in wrath. May the Lord bless to our understanding the reading of this, his holy word. Amen. As we come to the book of Hosea this morning, I want to begin with this question. How does the Lord feel about us? How does he feel about us? Hosea begins a series of smaller, 12 smaller books that come at the end of the Old Testament. The names are strange to us of those books. Probably our pages stick together because we haven't turned there very often if we've turned there at all. The Bible, you know, is, is more than just one book. Remember, it's a library of 66 books. And these books at the end of the Old Testament in the series of the library are called the Minor Prophets. We've gone through three major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. This morning we enter the home stretch of the Old Testament when we come to the 12 minor prophets. And they're called minor prophets not because they are less important, but because we just have less of their writing and less about them and less of their words of preaching and prophesying. Kirk Probasco has been here the past two weeks. Last week he preached on Daniel which comes right after Ezekiel. In our Bible, Daniel follows the three major prophets, but if you read a Hebrew-Jewish Bible, Daniel is not considered a prophet. He's one of the writings, and he's in another place. And in a Hebrew-Jewish Bible, the minor prophets are all put together in one book called the Book of the Twelve. Why is that? Well, 2,500 years ago, this was all copied by hand onto scrolls of parchment. And writing materials were much less efficient than our Bix and our pilot uh, pens that we have today. By the way, I don't know about you, but I'm a fine point guy. How, what about you with pens? I like about a, about a .38. You like that? I mean, I can do a .05, but I really like a .38. As fine as you can get. Well, anyway, that's beside the point, but... So a scroll had to be stored safely as well. It's easier to put lots of smaller parts onto a scroll and then store one scroll. Plus, you aren't wasting valuable space, blank space on a scroll. So the 12 minor prophets were all copied and compiled into one scroll, which is known as the Book of the Twelve. And the first of the minor prophets, the first book of the Twelve is Hosea. Or in Hebrew, as Jews would say, Hosea. The content of Hosea may astound you. The Lord speaks to the prophet Hosea and tells him to go and marry an adulterous wife, a prostitute, and then have children with her to demonstrate how the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So Hosea marries a prostitute. Her name is Gomer. They have children, although it's questionable whether all those children belong to Hosea because Gomer is unfaithful to him, just as Israel has been unfaithful to the Lord. Gomer leaves Hosea for other men. The Lord tells Hosea to go win her back. Hosea is to love her, to be faithful to her as a demonstration of how the Lord loves and is faithful to his people Israel, even though they commit spiritual adultery against Israel him. 
And that story is laid out in the first three chapters of Hosea. It's like a living parable. The rest of the book spells out the implications of this for the relationship between the Lord and his people. One of the early church fathers named Jerome, who lived in the fourth century, he translated the Bible into Latin when that was the major language of the day. Jerome said this, if we have need of the Holy Spirit in understanding all of God's word, how much more when we come to Hosea must we pray, oh Lord, help us to understand these mysteries. Go and marry an unfaithful woman and love her no matter what because that is how my people have treated me? That's how I've loved them, says the Lord? Help us to understand, Lord. Israel had been unfaithful to God by buying into other religious experiences, primarily the worship of Baal. You read a lot about Baal worship in the Old Testament and the Baals. Baal was a god worshipped by the pagan people of that time who believed that Baal had the power of all agriculture growth, all fertility, rainfall, and productivity. And the temples of Baal were located up on the hills around Israel and Jerusalem. Lewd and untamed sexual practices were part and parcel of Baal worship and, quite frankly, part of the attraction of the religion. Other aspects of Baal worship were drunkenness, human sacrifice, mutilation, and incest. As people went to these temples, the Baal temples, they would bring them back to their communities, bring the practices back to their homes, and they were betraying the Lord their God. And through Hosea, the Lord demands that his people come back to him, to the one who truly loves them, to the one who can really provide for them and all that they're searching for in the Baals. Hosea speaks of their betrayal as spiritual adultery, meaning unfaithfulness to their relationship with the Lord. You know, those who've experienced deep, deep pain of being betrayed by a spouse know something of how this feels, I think. Can anyone imagine going back to someone who has cheated on us again, and then again, and then again, and then again? That is what God does with his people. And Hosea is told to demonstrate this by bringing Gomer back to him, though she has been with other men. He is to love her as the Lord loves Israel. By the way, as you read Hosea, when you get there, or if you're there now, you will note the name Ephraim is used many times. Ephraim was the youngest son of Joseph and became the most important tribe in Israel with the best holding of land uh, in the area, and so by the time of Hosea, it was not uncommon for Israel to be referred to as I- Ephraim. So just remember that as you read Hosea. Ephraim stands for Israel. But in Hosea, we see the wild love of an unpredictable God, because I don't think anyone would predict that God would rubber stamp something like this. Marry an adulterous woman, but you see, God cares for us. In the prophets, you learn a lot about God. And most of the prophets focus on the wrong that people have done to offend God. The unique thing about Hosea is that he shines the light on God and what it feels like to be God when his chosen people reject him and go panting after other gods. In Hosea, a number of stinging uh, images are used of Israel. A promiscuous wife, 
They're portrayed as an indifferent mother, an illegitimate child, an ungrateful son, a stubborn heifer, and a patient sick with sin. But, and this is at the heart of this first book of the Twelve, Israel's unfaithfulness and Israel's betrayal cannot exhaust the redeeming love of God. Philip Yancey, the writer, said that one important message shines through the prophets, all the prophets with great force, that God passionately desires his people. More than anything, all the prophets keep repeating the refrain that we matter to God. God is not indifferent. He is not disinterested. He is not apathetic. It matters how we live. It matters how we treat him. It matters how we treat one another. And in the days of Hosea, the way God's people was living was breaking God's heart. The Lord is a lover who's been cheated on. Is there someone or is there something that has come first in your heart before the Lord? Taking the place of God in our lives. God sorrows, God hurts, God suffers. Why? God feels like a husband whose wife is running around with other men. God feels like a parent who's raised a child and brought up and nurtured that child, and that child rejects him. Hosea is filled with intimate, personal, caring words from the Lord about his people. The Lord speaks of Israel as a child whom he loved, whom he taught to walk, whom he take by the, took by the arms and led them with cords of kindness and love, bending down to feed them. The Lord speaks of how he cared for them in the desert, feeding them until they were satisfied, but in their pride, they forgot God. Hosea preaches that God's people do not know him. They've forsaken him. They've spurned him. They've turned their backs on him. There is no faithfulness or loyalty and no knowledge of God in the land. Philip Yancey envisions an imaginary scene, not to be irreverent, but to make a point. An imaginary scene where God is in the office meeting with God's counselor. And the counselor, you know, what, what do counselors say? Well, tell me how this feels. And, and the counselor gets out that first stock sentence to God, and then God takes over and says, I'll tell you how I feel. I feel like a parent who finds a baby girl lying in a ditch near death. I take the girl home and make her my daughter. I clean her, pay for her schooling, feed her. I dote on her, clothe her, hang jewelry on her. Then one day she runs away. I hear reports of her life of debauchery. Oh, she's a drug addict somewhere. Now she's covered with tattoos, her body pierced with jewelry. When my name comes up, she curses me. I feel like she's twisting a knife in my stomach. I'll tell you how I feel, God says. I feel like a man who falls in love with the most beautiful, sensitive woman in the world. I find her thin and wasted, abused, but I bring her home to heal her and make her beauty shine. She is the apple of my eye, and I lavish gifts and love on her. All this, and yet she forsakes me. She pants after my best friends, my enemies, anyone. She stands on a boulevard and pays people to love her, unlike a common prostitute. She doesn't even charge for her services. I feel betrayed, abandoned, jilted. You ever 
thought about how God feels when those who are in relationship with him choose other things over him? You know, the next book in the library of the Bible after Hosea is the prophet Amos. We'll listen to him a little bit next Sunday. The Jewish rabbi and scholar Abraham Heschel said that while the prophet Amos dwells on what God has done for Israel, the prophet Hosea dwells on how God feels for Israel, for his people. And the Lord feels pain and anguish over them. Now, God's not a human being, but God feels Spiritual adultery is really the Lord's accusation against Israel because God is in a covenant relationship with his people. It is like a marriage. And several times in the prophets, uh, the prophets speak of the Lord as the husband and his people as his wife. This is no casual relationship. And neither is the relationship that God wants with us. In the New Testament, Christ's relationship with his church. That's us, by the way. We're the church. His relationship with the church is compared to a husband and a wife. God's people are the bride of Christ. Spoiler alert, by the way, spoiler alert. When you get to the end of the big story in Revelation, it all ends with a marriage and the wedding supper of the Lamb. You know, many people see only a wrathful, angry, vengeful God sometimes when they read the Old Testament. And it is true, there are places where God looks like that. But you have to take all, the whole biblical witness, you have to take the big story and account for everything. And there are just too many places where God's heart is overflowing with compassion, longing, and love for his people. Does this, I'm going to read this. Does this sound like a God who just wants to destroy his people? He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. Despite Israel's tremendous violation against God, he could not give them up. Though God would not turn from his judgment, the destruction of the nation would not be the end of the relationship because the judgment does not exhaust God's character. God's love is the final word. God doesn't give us You know, Jesus knew the words of Hosea. He quotes Hosea twice in the Gospels. Did you know that? One time, the religious leaders and the pastors of the day see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, and they say, why in the heck are you doing that? And Jesus responds that those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. And then he says, you go and learn what this means. Have a little Bible study. I desire mercy not sacrifice, for I've come not to call righteous, but sinners. And he's quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Another time when the Pharisees see Jesus and his disciples walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath day and the disciples are picking off the grain and eating it because they're hungry, uh, the leaders criticize them for doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. Jesus again points to Hosea 6, 6, and he says, if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned us. Because we're guiltless. Mercy is a heart word. Religion is just a means to a relationship with a God who loves us and wants us and wants us to love him. 
And unless our church going and our praying and our Bible reading and our acts of goodness and whatever else we do, unless it leads our hearts to a deeper and deepened relationship with God, they aren't much. It is more than religion that God wants. He wants converted people. He wants hearts that love him and love others. He wants a faithful, healthy marriage to us. And by having Hosea act out the way Israel had treated the Lord by marrying Gomer and then winning her back, the Lord was trying to shake his people from their false allegiances and to wake them up to his love. As Hosea's love for Gomer is deeper than her unfaithfulness, so God's love for us is deeper than our unfaithfulness and our fickleness. Like Gomer, we've loved so many other things before the Lord. And sometimes we've gone away. Sometimes we've gone far far away from our husband, if you would. Yet we have been redeemed. We've been bought back by the cross of Jesus Christ. We have been loved to the cross, and it is a love that will not let us go. In Romans, it says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's when you feel and you understand the depths of the unfaithfulness, of our unfaithfulness, but also the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of God's love in Jesus Christ that your heart begins to be transformed. The Lord said that he loved Israel even though Israel had other loves. He never said his love vanquished. So with us, the Lord will never let us go in his love. He is jealous for us in his love. Do you have any idea how God longs for us? You know how hot it is outside? Have you noticed? Yeah. His love is hotter than that for us. Take your love for your spouse. Take your love for your child. Take your love for whoever that special person is for you. And it doesn't even compare. George Matheson was one of the great hymn writers of the church. And in the first service, we, we sang a hymn that he wrote, O love that will not let me go. This is how the first verse of that hymn goes. O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. There's another song that comes to my mind when I think of this. It's that last line from When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Remember how it ends? Two wonders I confess, the wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. No matter how much we have hurt the Lord, no matter where we've gone, no matter what we've done, no matter what religious or spiritual games we've been playing, he longs to take us back. And it doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for our sin, but that does not end the relationship. Next Sunday, I said, Jamie White, our director of youth ministry here, is going to be back from Kenya, and she's going to teach on Hosea in our Sunday morning Bible study. Two different times on weekend retreats over the years, she has taught Hosea to our kids. What is that about? And you wonder how Hosea and teenagers, how that interaction would go. She's done it twice. She finds it to be a powerful book. And so we're very glad she's going to teach that next week. I hope you'll come. 
bring your Bible and come to eat and enjoy Jamie's teaching as we go deeper into this book, much more than can be covered in this sermon. Hosea tells us that God loves us passionately, that he wants our love, and that he wants nothing less than a faithful, abiding relationship with us. I want to close this sermon with just some quiet time for reflection. I'm going to ask uh, Danielle, our musicians, if you would just come up and play quietly uh, and just give us some space to bring our relationship to the Lord right now. And as we do that, maybe just reflect on, on these things. Does God, the God who loves you with a deep and passionate love, does he have your heart? Maybe you can acknowledge how God has loved you through times you've walked away, times you've gone far away, and how he's brought you back. Maybe you can think about those times. Be thankful for that. Or maybe you just need to return to the Lord. Take some time for reflection. God, our Father, we so often live not fully realizing the depth of the love you have for us. Thank you for pursuing us, for seeking us, and welcoming us when we wander into places that take us far from you. You are our Father, and we are your children. You are our husband. We are your bride. Give us the grace to honor this relationship above all else. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Amen.